So sometimes the best thing we can do is just sit back and hear a story. We need the objective data of Scripture, but most of Scripture is story. I was blind and now I see. You make your call on this guy, but I was blind and now I see. How do you, how do you, how do you argue with that subjective input of a story? And many of you have had the privilege of knowing Kathy Henry for a lot of years. I've had the privilege of knowing her for 28 years, 27 years. And I know her as you do as Kathy Glista. Her husband John was just up here leading us in worship. But I don't know if you know her story. Take a few minutes, sit back, and listen with your soul. Because some of the realities of her story are also realities in your life, too, if you will listen and watch and see and allow the movement of our God of grace to happen in your life, too. So here's her story. When I was 17, there were two words that changed my life from childhood to adulthood and that was, you're pregnant. I didn't know what to do. I was a cheerleader in high school, but I was also a leader in my youth group. We were at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, so it wasn't like this was gonna remain a secret. There were people to tell and to confront and say, here's what's going on in my life. And unfortunately, a lot of those people didn't take it very well. And I was very challenged by the church at that time. I really felt kind of betrayed, like they weren't backing me up, like they weren't supporting me. I heard a lot of messages from people. Um, you know, if I had an abortion, it was immoral. If I gave him up for adoption, I was abandoning him. If I kept him, I was being selfish because my mom was a single mom and we couldn't afford it, you know? And so my mom really helped to guide me to figure out what was the best thing for me and, and for the child. And that's when we chose adoption and we decided to go down that route. The whole nine months, I didn't pray to God because I felt that shame and that guilt. It was harder than I ever imagined, you know, going through each step of it each doctor's visit, each, each time I had a decision to make, each time I had a paper to sign. I remember going into the hospital just for a checkup and it, I wasn't supposed to have him that day. And then um, they decided to induce me. But now all of a sudden I was gonna have to give him up. And at that point when I realized this is it, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to see him again. It was just really hard. I almost, you know, was like, I don't, I don't know that I can go through with this. They asked me if I wanted to hold him after he was born, and I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't do it because I thought, if I do that, I'm gonna wanna keep him. So I didn't. Um, but later in the day, I asked my sister to go down and check on him. <laughs> so my sister went down to the nursery and checked on him and said she saw two people 
that were right in front of his bassinet. And, um, and she thinks that was the parents of them. And so that gave me some relief to know he wasn't alone. So we got the call on uh, the day he was born. We drove to Lexington and uh, picked him up two days old. And uh, Linda got to dress him in the nursery. And uh, she was just beside herself and she loved him very much. Just immediately, he was just the spark that we both needed. He grew up just a regular feisty little boy, uh, always getting into everything, but never any real trouble or anything. So this was an open adoption. The family could contact me anytime that they wanted, but I didn't know their names. And it's like you feel like you're making this right decision, but there's still all these questions that I'm gonna live with for the rest of my life about, you know, who his parents are and how they're gonna treat him and if he's gonna have a good life and what is he gonna grow up and be like? And all of those questions still enter your mind. Um, so you're questioning yourself all of the time and you're feeling the guilt of that all of the time because you just don't know. And I think I lived in shame and guilt for a long time because I didn't know. You know, in my mind, I always said, God, just let him be so happy, he doesn't even want to find me. And then I graduated. I realized, you know, faith is still a big part of my life, and it always will be. How will I restore that within myself? And I went back to church. I went to a Christian college. And that's where I met my husband, John. And I told him immediately about my son that was born, and he was very gracious about it. But after college, we moved to Ohio and um, started a church and then started having our own family. And there were lots of different points that I would think of my child and what was he doing and where was he at at this point in his life. So uh, I grew up in Kentucky in uh, just a small town and just, I would say, is, was a normal life. You know, I think the whole, the adoption thing was something that was always told to me. So it was never, you know, like a weird, weird thing to me. I mean, it was just all, always normal. I remember one time being in my bedroom and it was just a, a day of guilt and shame that I couldn't face anymore. And I was just crying and I couldn't stop crying because I felt guilt and shame and question and what if, what if, what if. And then the next day, I found out where he was. I had gone down to Lexington, my, my hometown. I'd gone to my home church and I was helping my sister with an event. And it's a, it's a large church. It's got about eight to 10,000 people at that time. So we were sitting in a room of about 1,500, 2,000 people. And we went into the service and I sat down and the music started. And then after the worship, the pastor said, go ahead and stand up and shake hands with someone. 
and in front of me was a young man and his wife. And I shook their hand, and I shook her hand, and then I shook other people's hands and didn't think anything about it. Uh, we turn around, and she's sitting right behind us. Just from seeing her in, in Facebook, I, I don't know how, how long before, but uh, we immediately knew who she was. So we go through the service, and then after the service, I go out, I walk down the hall. I am sitting in the lobby by myself, and I see a young man walking up to me, and I thought, do I know him? And he comes closer, and so I just looked up and I said, hi, can I help you? And he said, excuse me, ma'am, is your name uh, Kathy Henry? And I said, yes, it is. Do I know you? I said, well, my name is Russ Judd, or I say my name is Russ, and she immediately, uh, you know, she starts crying. And that's when I knew he was my son. But we just then sat down and started talking, and I just said, how do you know me? How do you know who I am? Um, how, why are you at this church? This is my church. <laughs> and he said, this is my home church too. I started coming here a couple of years ago, and I live in Lexington. So he started telling me about his life, and then uh, we went out to his car. His wife was in the car, and so I got to meet her. And I got to meet their nine-month-old son. That day that Russ met her at Southland, he told me, do you know who that was? And I said, no, I didn't pay any attention to who it was, you know. And I thought, oh, do I really want to do this? You know, and uh, she came in the door and we sat there and hugged and cried for 10 minutes, probably. Um, so I know for a lot of people that this story is very joyful and very happy, and it's a great ending. But I know for some people, this isn't a joyful story because that's not what's happened in their lives. They haven't been able to see this picture, and it's, or they are still in the middle of the picture. And that's hard to be able to sit in that place. But understanding that God is always there to be with you would be the message. And if you are sitting here and if you are hearing the words regret or guilt or shame, I would say that is not the voice of God whispering in your ear. That God whispers love and protection and and he wants to be with you every step of the way. Those are the words of God.
Kathy Henry, would you come up here right now? Would you? So, uh, as a big UK fan, word on the street is the first, <laughs> the first question you ask for us is, are you a UK yeah, fan? Yeah, that's okay, a okay, deal breaker. That's right, we want to get that cleared up. Um, you know, if, if, if vulnerability is the interface of human connection, I, I guarantee you there's a young lady who's hearing this right now, that your vulnerability just connected her to her God who's never going to forsake her. And we as a church want to tell you thank you. Amen, church. Let's tell her thank you for that. I know your sister said she's the most courageous person I know, and, and uh, I agree. Uh, you're just one of the most gracious people I've ever known. And uh, I think a lot of it is this story tells why. I remember where I was when I heard the the church story, you know, of that day. And it was a couple days later, and it was just really crazy. So we want to talk about this and unpack this for a few moments. And we are privileged today to have with us also Dr. Russ Judd, who is the Director of Quality and Infectious Diseases at St. Joseph's Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. So Russ, you can So, Russ, you knew very early on that you had been adopted, and uh, it was just a part of your life, but there are so many. The Grand Weaver was weaving way before this. Tell a little bit about the connections that were happening, and going all the way back to the moment you remember learning you were, had been adopted, and Talk about, what were some of the connections that you go, oh my gosh, God was preparing me for this moment when I was a little boy? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, for me, I always knew I was adopted. It was never uh, something that, uh, you know, I felt like was unusual. My parents and my mom and dad, you know, told me as young as I can remember and would also tell my friends. And so for them, it was also not something strange. So... You know, through the years when people have asked me or if I, I've told them that I was adopted, you know, they'll, they'll be like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, what, you know, why, why are you so sorry? And <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I can remember uh, probably about seven to eight years old, uh, lying on the couch with my mom, and they were always very open. If I asked them any questions, uh, they, they would tell me the answer, but I just never did ask a lot of questions. Uh, because I, I felt like, you know, I really had, did not have a strong desire to really know. I, I mean, I lived a happy mm-hmm. life, uh, childhood. And uh, so I did ask my, my mom one day uh, what her name was. And she uh, hesitated a little bit and, and took me upstairs to dad and, and said, you know, is it okay if we tell Russ her name? And uh, he said, yeah, I think that's fine. And so he said, uh, or she said, uh, Kathy Henry. So uh, that was really the first time that I, I learned her name. And it's, pro- it's probably the last time, uh, really, that I, that I asked uh, well, about her name or, or, you know, about her family and things like that. Because, again, I just didn't have a strong desire. 
And it, it really wasn't until probably my mid-20s. And at the time, uh, my wife Karen and I were driving around Lexington with my, with my mom before she passed away and, and my dad. And uh, Karen would, you know, she was, I would always ask a lot of questions and uh, <laughs> wanted to learn about adoption. And that was really the first time that I learned about the connections, you know, between our families and how my parents discovered uh, who, who Kathy really was. So after I uh, went to college, I became good friends with a girl named Lyric. And um, I met my husband in college, and so my husband and his friend, and then Lyric and I would all double date. And so Lyric became one of my best friends in college. And I found out, um, or she realized, actually, I didn't find out, um, uh, after about a year, I had told her about my situation, and I'd given up a child for adoption. And um, it turns out that she was from Russ's hometown, and that she actually babysat Russ for a year. And, um, and she was a part of his life, you know, at a time when I couldn't be. Um, so she, um, she got to be um, with him, but once she put it together, once she realized who I was, she knew she was very close with her family, so she knew some of the logistics, like I was a cheerleader, I was from Lexington, I had a twin, um, and she put that together, and, and she realized it was me, so she went to Barry and Linda and said, I think I know who his biological mm. mom is, and uh, she showed uh, them my picture, and they said, yeah, that's her. So um, she then, you know, they said, we'd like you to not tell her, you know, we want it to be his choice when he, yeah. and if he decides to find her. Yeah. Yeah. How did you know it was her, Russ? Tell us the, the back story of how, the, again, the Grand Weaver is, is weaving threads of connection. Yeah, so the same, the same night when I learned about Lyric, they also, also told me the story about our uh, preacher that, that we had hired when I was in high school at the time at our church growing up. And his name was Fella, uh, Fella Wilson. Which I said, everybody wants a pastor named Fella. That's just the best name for a pastor ever. God, it uh, sounds like a guy who's going to love you, doesn't he? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Fella, my dad found out. My dad was an elder at the church uh, growing up. And he, when Fella was hired, he, he went to him and he had this picture that Lyric had given him. And uh, knew that he went to the same college as Lyric and as Kathy and John. And said, do you know who this is? And a uh, fellow said, uh, yeah, I know who that is. And uh, actually, he and uh, or, uh, I was in a band with her uh, husband, John, <laughs> back in college. <laughs> and so, uh, again, at the time, my dad told him, you know, if you could just, you know, keep this quiet, and uh, if, you know, if Russ ever comes to you uh, with questions, that's fine. Just, if you could just keep us in the loop, let us know. Yeah. And uh, at the time, sort of leading up to the, the day that we met, um, years had, you know, probably a couple years had gone by, and Karen and I were in our first house uh, after we'd gotten married, and at the time, we were, I was just on Facebook, sitting on the couch, and on a random profile, uh, and, and just scrolling through, and ended up getting on Fella's uh, wife's profile. And at the time, there were about six, six pictures uh, on there, uh, six random photos of, of just friends, 
or family. And uh, I look and I see one of the names is Kathy Henry Glista. And I had learned, you know, early on in my life, uh, when I was seven or eight, what, what her name was. And so that was something that just sort of always stuck with me. And so I just learned the story about Fella and their relationship uh, together and back in college. And I told Karen, you know, I, I think this is my biological mother. And, um, you know, so Karen was like, you know, what are you going to do? And Kathy had an open profile. So now I can see everything about Kathy and her two kids, Allison and Devin and John, and her, the rest of her family. Uh, I know sort of everything about her life, it seem, seems like. Stalking your mother. Yeah. <laughs> Stalking your mother. Yeah. So, so Karen asked, you know, what do you want to do? And uh, honestly, I, at the time, I was just, I was worried that I didn't want to mess that up. You know, her family. And I, I didn't know, you know, what they knew. Um, and I, I just didn't want to mm. really interfere with that. So I decided at the time that I would just let it go. Mm-hmm. So the day comes. And um, you think about a, a room a lot larger than this one. The odds. Yeah. The odds are just really infinitesimal. Um, what, what was that moment like, Russ, when you realized you're, you're sitting in front of your birth mom? Yeah, so Karen and I... Uh, we had our nine-month-old at the time, Carson, who's now 12 on the first row there. Uh, we went in just like any normal Sunday, and when the preacher said, you know, get up and shake your neighbor's hand, uh, we turn around and... Let me stop you there. He's an infectious disease doctor. <laughs> God also has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Yeah. Because infectious yeah. disease doctors will say, I wish we could eliminate churches shaking <laughs> others' hands at these yeah. super spreader events that we have called church. That's amazing to me. But anyway, yeah. I digress. So us move on. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we turn around, and Kathy was there. And, and Karen and I immediately knew who she was. And she even had a baseball cap on at the time. <laughs> I know her. I was a bad hair. It was. It was. Totally was. was. I've been working all weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so so we, Karen and I look at each other, and we just, in our just eyes looking at each other, we we know instantly who it is. And so, Mm. uh, you know, I'm shaking her hand, just an an awkwardly Mm. long handshake, you know. (laughs) And so, you know, the rest of the service, that's, you know, I can hear her laugh. If the preacher tells a joke, um, she's a good laugher. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's a good laugher. You know, I can hear you know her singing and and you know that's I mean just imagine you know the first time you you hear hear those things and so about halfway through Karen went and and got Carson and uh, and brought brought him back into the the sanctuary just so that she could. She could see him, even though she had no idea who, who he was. Mm. <laughs> I'm playing with so. him throughout the whole service, too. Which is amazing. Not yeah. knowing, that's your, Not grand, knowing. that's your grandchild. Yeah. yeah. So the preceding this, and we've been unpacking as a church, that there is this element of objectivity to our faith, right? The scriptures, the truths. But there is a subjective side of a real faith that develops, that 
I can't deny these experiences either. And when they join together, it's a powerful combination. So preceding this, there are some objective leadings you're getting before that day. Kathy, you speak into that before Russ does. Of, of you listened with your soul to some of the things that God was saying to you, didn't you? Yeah, I really did. I, you know, when people would say they had those experiences, um, I would, I would just always be really doubtful about it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, oh, was God really talking to you? But um, two times I just had this overwhelming, overpowerful, physical um, feeling. And that was, um, of course, the day that I was so upset in my bedroom. And then the next day I find out where Russ is. You know, that was just an, a miracle to me in God's, you mm. know, in my eyes that God would give me that gift, you know, that I would know everything about him. Um, and the second time was then when I had to tell my kids about Russ. Um, so Lyric, my best friend in college, you know, who knew about Russ, um, she kept the secret for me for a long time. And then in 1997... Um, by accident, I found out that she knew uh, who Russ was and where he was. And so I called her and I said, hey, I found this out. Is this true? And she said, yes, it is. And she broke down. She was very upset. She said, I'm so sorry I've had to keep this secret from you for all this time. And I said, please, don't worry about it. You know, I respect you fully for doing that because, you know, um, it needs to be our timing, you know, needs to be perfect mm -hmm. with this. So, um, so she, she at that time was able then to tell me, his name is Russ, um, uh, he's doing great, he has this amazing family, he loves God. Um, her mom and her had been saving all these newspaper clippings, so over the years they would send me things that were going on in his life and things like that. Um, and so I knew his name at that point. So when I had, I had to tell my kids, it had been a long time and my kids were in college and I was like, when is the right time to do this, John? And I always kind of weighed and you know, you know, one kid's doing good, the other one isn't. One kid's, you know, both are doing great. Is this the right time? You just don't know, you know, what it is. Mm. And so, um, but the day that I had to tell my kids, I had this overwhelming physical feeling that this is the day. You need to tell them today. You need to do it right now. And um, so I listened to that sense. It was just so overwhelming. And um, I know what that feeling is now. And so God was saying, do this now. Um, Allison was at home at the time. She was downstairs in the basement. Um, Devin was still away at college. I go down to the basement and I tell Allison the story. And I say, when I was 17, I had a child. I know his name. Um, you have a brother. And um, I, I haven't met him. I don't know if you ever will or I ever will, but I just felt like I needed to tell you mm -hmm. that. And she was so gracious and um, asked me a lot of questions and... Um, was just so kind and asked me, you know, how did you feel about this? You know, what did you have to go through? She said all of those things, so it was so sweet. Um, Devin was away at college and um, uh, I, like things just kept coming up. He went on a trip right after that and then um, I couldn't get a hold of him and then it was gonna be a phone call and then it was a short phone call and I, I couldn't get a hold of him. So I wasn't able to tell him at that time, but I told him later. And after that day then, two weeks later, is when I met Russ. That's when that happened. Mm. Wow. And so, the, so listening to that voice and to that feeling, um, I pay a lot more attention to that. Yeah, listen. <laughs> but Russ, also, the Spirit of God was whispering to you too, right at that same time, wasn't he? Yeah, I, when 
Kathy told me about the feeling that she had uh, the day the day that we met. I had sort of the same um, really overwhelming feeling that you know I I was going to uh, to meet her. I, I, and it, it seems odd, and uh, it had been about a year and a half after my uh, mom had passed away uh, from breast cancer, and so uh, now around November of 2010 is when we met, and, um, and then, we, I, you know, I turn around, and, and there she is, and even then, uh, you know, Kathy just talked about listening, and so uh, after the service was over, I you know, uh, we get, we leave the sanctuary and Karen asks, uh, you know, again, it feels like this is supposed to happen. You know, all these things have happened. Uh, you know, what, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, let's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> home. You're yeah. not talking about let's go back. Let's yeah. go home. I, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> so we go, we get in the car and, uh, and then we, uh, she convinces me again to, to go back in. So, we, we start walking down the hallway, and uh, our cousin, uh, our close uh, family friend, stops us in the middle of the hallway and, and is telling a, about her wedding, and, you know, oh, so we're like, yeah, that's great, <laughs> okay? <laughs> uh, so, and at the same time, we see Kathy sort of walking our direction, and uh, someone recognizes her and stops her in, mm. in the hallway, like five feet from us. And so again, we can uh, we can hear her conversations, and you know, not trying to <laughs> stalk again, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, so they they end their conversation, and then we finish ours, and and then I tell Karen, uh, let's go <laughs> so, again, so again. again. <laughs> so we go go out in the car, and then one final time, um, she convinces me to go back in, and and I say. You know, if, if I see her this time, I'll, I'll say something. And if I don't, then I'm, I'm not going to pursue this. And mm. so I, I get to the end of the hallway, and, and uh, she's sitting by herself. And this is probably 20 minutes after the service. Uh, you know, she's visiting from Ohio. And uh, I walk up to her, and, and that's what you saw in the mm. video. Mm. And, and don't miss this, everybody. The undeniable lesson from today is good things happen when you go to church. I just want you to know that. Okay, is everybody getting that? You never know what God's going to do. Romans 8. You can't ignore um, maybe one of the most quoted verses in Scripture, but also misquoted verses in Scripture. It is so apt today in this story. Uh, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's the first qualifier. And who have been called according to his purpose. That's the second qualifier. And it's, it's really easy to look at that today in light of this because it turned out in many respects just in a dream. I mean, Oprah could be interviewing you right now as opposed to me <laughs> because it's that kind of a story, right? And typically the way we look at Romans 8.28 is, oh, I know that you lost your job, but Romans 8.28 promises that you're going to get a better one. Uh, I know that your girlfriend broke up with you, your fiancé broke up with you, but God's got a better person in mind. Maybe better looking, too. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, that, and that's the way we look at that is it's for my good. But what we miss that I think is the story here is Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, 
he also chose to be conformed to the image of his son. That the story isn't in just whether you got to meet each other, but Jesus' story goes on through you. And you're more like Jesus today because of this. It's made you one of the most gracious people many of us have ever known. You have three amazing children, just amazing children. And God's just done so much in your life. Russ, you're, you're saving lives. But as we close with this, that it's bigger than the happy-go-lucky story, the happy ending. It's about the redemptive story of Christ that is weaving all of our stories together all the time. Mm -hmm. He's always weaving stories. Um, what's your takeaway, Russ Judd? And then Kathy, for you after Russ. Yes, so I think for me, you know, Kathy and I never even shared our perspectives, our own perspectives with each other until just a couple of, of weeks ago. And, you know, I think at the time we, we had never really thought about it and he sort of, you know, placed on our hearts uh, and what came to mind, Jeremiah 1, uh, before I formed you in the womb, uh, I knew you. And just one other God moment, when uh, the person who, who married my parents uh, was also the person who, uh, when, when Kathy and her sisters and mom were in Lexington, rented them their house. <laughs> and uh, wow, that's amazing. God shows off sometimes, doesn't yeah, he? That's right. shows <laughs> so, you know, and, and they got married in, in 1973, uh, 10 years before I was born, or ever, even a thought. And so I, th I think for me, it just shows how powerful God is. And, you know, we, we live in the present. Uh, you know, we know what happened in the past, and, and, but we have no idea what's going to happen in the future. And I, I think for us, as we're going through sort of difficult times, that sort of creates fear because we don't know what's going to happen. But we have a creator who lives outside of time. You know, he, he sees the future and the past and the present just like, you know, they're watching us today. <laughs> And so he's infinitely more wise and knowing than we could we can ever mm -hmm. imagine. And he has great things planned for for all of us. And uh, it, it really doesn't matter uh, what what we're going through. Right. Kathy, what about you? Because there's something that you have a message that you believe God said to you as that 17 year old girl. Yeah. What was that message? Because I. You know, I think about today and the, the battle that now is being waged in our culture. And our aim as the church is not to make abortion illegal. That's not our part. Our part is to make it unthinkable. Mm -hmm. That we're going to create a world where that Kathy gets loved and cared for. Yeah. And the Russ gets cared and loved for. Yeah. And you said you had a very distinct message from the Lord at age 17. What was that? Yeah. At 17, you know, it's, and I said on that video, I didn't pray for nine months because I was feeling like that guilt and shame, you know, but um, God made me understand that he is listening even when I'm not talking to him. He is there mm. even when I am not there. Um, I didn't trust all the time, but I did hope all the time. And um, God will be there for every one of us. This is more than adoption story, this is a God story. It took us 27 years 
to meet. And then it took us another 12 to tell this story, you know, because, because we had to adjust our family to it. We had to adjust us to it. But in that whole time, God is still working within each of us. This is not the end of this story. It's not, you know, most of our family's here today and it's not the end of their story either within this. So. God's not finished, is he? He's not. So Southwark, would you guys stand up? And um, in a careful choreography, thank Russ and Kathy, first of all, for telling this amazing story. Would you? Um, but now, uh, let's sing this song like we've never sung it before, even though we just sang it 30 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> because you got to see this. You got to hear the music of God's story. And now we get to hear it through music. So let's do that. And let's sing, because this is true of you, what we're about to sing and what you just heard. Hi. 